my allergy pill last night. Mm. I feel like very congested. Sure. But it's like a dry congestion because there's no humidity here. No humidity. Yeah. But it's just a very dry thing, and it's really hard when I wake up in the morning and having to do that clear out my sinuses. <laughs> Anyway, everybody, welcome to the gallery. <laughs> welcome to the gallery podcast. I'm Claudia Osorio, your host. Today, I have a very special guest with me. She has been a lifelong friend. I think we met probably when we were in third grade. That's when I moved to spring. I don't know if you remember that. I do, uh, because she has been a singer, a performer. Uh, I remember she was in this choir showcase, and I watched her. Uh, now she's living in Los Angeles, and she's working for Comedy Central, and she did podcasting, and she's amazing, and she's been an incredible host while we've been here in Los Angeles. So thank you so much. Everybody, welcome Caroline Anderson. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm very excited to not just come visit you, but to see what your world is like now. Sure. Because it is very different from, I guess, what you would call like the Houston scene. For the sure. art scene. Did you ever get a taste of Houston? Because I feel like you, you went to college and then you pretty much moved out here. Pretty much, yeah. The closest I would say was that when I was in high school, I worked for St. Paul's United Methodist downtown. They have a really amazing program for aspiring opera singers, which is what I was at the time. Um, when that's right in the museum district and stuff like that. So I feel like I really know the choral music and like the high art scene, but not the kind of lo-fi DIY stuff that has cropped up since I've left. But you started singing at a very young age. Yeah. Is that what you always wanted to do? You wanted to be an opera singer. You wanted to perform. Is that what you wanted to do? I wanted to perform because I wanted to sing opera and you have to have a performing job, but I didn't love performing ever. Okay. I have really, really bad anxiety and really bad stage fright. Um, I definitely like am obsessed with the craft of singing and pedagogy and like would just spend all afternoons at my voice teacher's house and go to her other voice students and teach my own voice lessons. And like the process of turning a voice is like very exciting for me, but that kind of can't be its own career. So I was like, well, I guess I'll be a famous opera singer. <laughs> it's like, a, ugh. unfortunately, this is how my life is turning out. I have to be an opera singer. <laughs> um, but I didn't, I didn't like performing ever. I went to college on an opera scholarship. Right, right. So while... And where, where did you go I again? went to Louisiana State. Right, right. Um, wrong choice for me, but a wonderful school if anyone out there is looking for a classical voice school. It is a really, really good classical voice school. Um, but when I was there, I started doing stand-up and then was like, oh, that dream I had when I was seven years old of singing opera my whole life is maybe, maybe over. So how did... But how did that start? You were... In elementary school when you started singing is that something yeah, that I'm, you just were naturally able to do you my were like, mom is a pianist okay. my dad I mean they met in their college acapella group my dad is very involved in barbershop quartet singing um I have a big brother who sang and so I was and my parents like led church choirs so I was just always there um I took piano lessons when I was really young because my mother was a piano teacher the kind of earliest memory I have our early elementary school, but I also don't remember a time when music wasn't a part of your life. Yeah. Yeah. You came out to Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. 
because you were working for a podcast network. Right. How did that start? So when I was in college, I was really obsessed with podcasts in general. Uh, it was the very young age of podcasts. It was yeah. before Nerdist, before Marin, um, and Comedy Bang Bang, which was then Comedy Death Ray. I started listening about 10 episodes into it and was like, it used to broadcast live. I would listen live. I was obsessed with it. And it was just hit the exact right time as I was being disillusioned with music. And so my kind of crazy brain, the hobby I developed in college was making these really detailed spreadsheets of every episode of the podcast and who the guests were and what games they played because none of that was available online. Um, and I love to make a chart or a graph or like a spreadsheet. That's just my most comfortable state. Sure. Um, so I built all of those. And then one day there was like a call of like, hey, we're going to build a website. If anyone can build websites, let us know. And I emailed and said, I don't know how to build websites, but I have these. If they help you at all. And they're like, they do help us. How else do you want to help us? And so I came on board as a copywriter when Earwolf, the network, started. Um, and then did just like whatever they would let me do. If I was doing backend stuff with WordPress, if I was doing press releases, just anything they would let me do. And so I did that for free while I was going to college. I dropped out of college pretty quickly after I started doing that because, uh, you know, another beam was being presented and it was time for me to hop off the beam I was on. And then, yeah, and then I came out to L.A. Sure. And it ended up being the Lucrative. best decision yeah. ever. Yeah. yeah. Where did that lead after that? Because you're not with your wolf anymore. That's correct. So... So after I dropped out of college, I moved back home briefly to save money to move to Los Angeles to work full time and to be out here. And in that time, the comedy Bang Bang TV show was pitched and developed. And Scott let me know that the show had been picked up. And I said, great, I'm, I'm moving to Los Angeles. What perfect timing. And he said, OK, you can have a, a job on the show. So <laughs> I, it's a story that it, interns hate, like students who go to film yeah. school and stuff of yeah. like yeah I, the guy had a tv show and he asked if I wanted to move across the country and work on it and hey said, yes. you know what sometimes it happens <laughs> right and you just have you know opportunities present themselves and you just have to take it yeah and I admire you so much for doing that because I we were talking about this the other day I have lived in Houston my whole life sure my entire life um we moved out to the suburbs uh when I was seven eight years old uh but I lived in the city for the most part and so I grew up with a very city mentality and I knew I always wanted to go back yeah into Houston but I never really thought of branching out and going to any other city sure. even though I have family here in Los Angeles it's crazy I sure. never you know and I have family in New York too yeah. but my home has always been Houston and I think a large part of that is just me not being courageous enough to be able to take that leap sure and you certainly took that leap I don't I, would, I don't want to say it was like a leap of faith because you know he basically offered you a job and was sure. like here you go you have something a lot of people come out here and kind of take their chances sure but it seems like you've been on an incredible journey yeah um so then you kind of started doing stuff with Upright Citizens Brigade here in Los Angeles sure as well I knew that that's what I wanted you know all the comedians I loved all the comedians who were on the podcast I was listening to they all did UCB and so it was like kind of not a question for me that as soon as I moved here I was gonna do UCB classes and try to work up that ladder and so yeah I think I moved out here in November and I started my first class in January how many years ago was that that would have been the uh 2011 I moved out here so 2012 okay January 
Okay. Wow. So it's five years. I know that feels insane. Of, of performing and being in this scene. Yeah. Who do you admire most within this circle? Oh gosh. I mean, it's a really, really big circle. Right. I'm like continually reminded of how massive it is and just how many people I don't know. I mean, when I first got here, it was like Katie Dippold, um, who's like a really, really talented improviser, but also like writes all the movies everyone loves, you know, wrote The Heat and like Ghostbusters and is just like super talented. And when you watch her, she just like, she's very unassuming. And then she just like pounces and you're like, oh, you're a genius. And no one knew. <laughs> uh, Joe Wanger, it's another one of those just like secret geniuses. Now it's not a secret anymore. Um, Mary Holland and Lauren Lapkus, when I first moved here, I was like, oh, they're going to be successful. And now they are, which is very cool to watch. Yeah, there's there's just so many. It's such a huge. I think the Birthday Boys are like such a talented sketch group, and I loved their TV show, and I'm so excited for what they're doing from this point forward. I love Paul Rust. Uh, yeah, there's just any kind of. Yeah, we're big uh, Paul Rust fans too. <laughs> we watch Love. Yeah. Uh, catch Catch Love, everybody on Netflix. <laughs> yes, that's please. a free plug. Yeah. You're welcome, Paul Rust. <laughs> I'm very happy to hear that you did name a lot of women. Mm -hmm. Our scene in Houston is predominantly male. Sure. What is the balance here in L.A., women versus men? You know, when I first got here, it was, like, good for what it was. Like, it was more um, balanced than I'd ever seen anything before in my life, which meant that it was, like, not quite balanced. Um but it was still impressive of like every Herald team had at least two women for every six guys, which was like, you know, very that, impressive at the time. Yeah. I mean, that's great. Even sure. now, I think sure. <laughs> even in Houston. And then there was a point maybe like three years ago when I started doing my own show at UCB called women of UCB. That was just an all female lineup of sketch and improv and stand up and everything. And then quickly after I started doing that show, three or four other all women shows popped up. So I was like, Oh, I'm not going to do my show anymore. That was like a public service. And now other people are taking care of it. So I'm going to do it. And now every team is, is half and half. There are a few that aren't, but every team at UCB is built to be half men, half women, um, which is amazing. Yeah. That's incredible. I mean, I really wish uh, we had more of a balance in Houston. Unfortunately, we don't. But sure. that is definitely something that we're working on. Sure. I hope I uh, see the day when, you know, we can go to a comedy show and it'll just be all women. Sure. Uh, yeah. Because right now, you know, it's it's hard enough to get one woman on a team. Yeah. And see a troupe or sketch or anything. And then they'll just have like one or two women. And, and you know, I, I hope if anybody in, in Houston listens to this and they think, God, you know, Houston sucks. Like they're not <laughs> doing enough. Um, it, it just is very difficult uh, for women to kind of make a name for themselves because in Houston, it's very DIY. Right. And uh, it's really difficult for women to sort of muscle their way into a scene that has already been established for men. Unfortunately, that's our reality. Sure. But I, I, it is changing, and I do appreciate that, that it's it's evolving. And uh, hopefully, I don't, I don't know if we'll, we'll compare to what Los Angeles is doing now sure. in the near future, but I'm hoping that it's, it's the way of the future. Yeah, I mean, we have a female AD right now at UCB on both coasts. Um, Beth Appel is the AD out here, artistic director. 
And the changes obviously shifted before she got in there, but I think that's such a huge part of it. It's just like having a woman behind the computer going like, huh, there's a discrepancy here. Let's throw some women at the problem, which yeah. is always solves it. Because the problem isn't that there just aren't any women Correct. who want to do comedy. It's just that they don't have the opportunity to do it. Right. And here it seems like there is more of an acceptance. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went to a show last night. Yes. Uh, at Stories. Mm-hmm. It's a bookshop but it's a book and coffee shop mm-hmm. uh, and it was hosted by your now boss. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about Matt and Jake? Sure. Um, Matt Ingebrets and Jake Weissman and another guy named Pat Bishop developed a show for Comedy Central called Corporate that's going to premiere early next year. Um, and I've had the pleasure to work on it uh, as the script coordinator. I think they're like such cool, funny dudes who do have that DIY sense of and are putting on a show in the back of a bookstore um and all the staff writers on that show were women they were like we we're dudes we've got the dude voice covered let's just hire exclusively women for wow. the show wow i didn't yeah. know that yeah that's really interesting yeah oh my god that is so cool yeah i mean i i was gonna watch it anyway sure. caroline sure but now i'm 100 percent invested in this sure that is incredible yeah so how did you become involved with this project? Matt is from Houston, by Matt the way. is from Houston, yeah. Um, so season one of the show, they hired a showrunner named Jake Fogelnest, who has been a friend of mine since I moved here. He's another one who I was just a big fan of when I was in college. He would do these live streams that I would watch every week. Um, sure, yeah. I used to <laughs> I used to listen to Jake on, on Sirius sure. XM, and uh, his sure. musical tastes are out of this world yeah he's an amazing guy and another one that when I was working at Earwolf I told them like give Jake Fogelnest a job he's super talented he is connected he'll help you he loves showbiz he'll talk about showbiz with you all day and they did and then he and I could develop a working relationship and I watched his cat and we became friends and then when he got that job and it was his first show running job he wanted someone who was a friend of his who he knew how shows worked uh and since I'd worked on Bang Bang for 110 episodes you know he could have some confidence in me and so he brought me along uh and I'm so grateful that he did it was such a fun experience so where do you see yourself going from here if corporate takes off you talked a little bit about developing your own show Mm -hmm. or at least the idea of one (sighs) This is a bad answer to your question. I'll preface this with this. But the like lesson I learned from dropping out of college was that um, my ideas for my future are bad compared to what's possible. So there is a certain amount of like planning you have to do as an adult so that you have money in your bank and have a job. But I try my hardest to be completely disconnected with the future. Um, I love to daydream. I love to future trip. I love to worry about problems that haven't come yet. So the best kind of solution I have is to just go like, I'm working as a script coordinator on corporate and that's my identity. (laughs) There are lots of like, you know, I love comic books and I think about like, what if I got into comic books, which is sounds comic book is such a difficult industry to get into. So it's not like easy or like, I have friends who work in the kind of teen supernatural world, which I have a real passion for. And so I think like, oh, maybe I'll go that way. Um, When people ask me what my dream is, my real dream right now is to do a reboot of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. So if anyone from Archie is listening, 
hire me <laughs> to reboot Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I don't know what I would do. I would start a fan page, maybe. Sure. But Great. I would absolutely be on board for that Great. just to support it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I, you know, obviously I want to be in the Writers Guild because it has great health insurance. Right. (laughs) And I want to have a lot of money so that I can have a beautiful wedding with my boyfriend and have porcupines there, which is like my dream. Um, (laughs) But in terms of like actual, like, I want to be staffed by this age or I want to be, you know, I only want to work in sitcoms. I have absolutely no feelings about that. Well, that's great. I mean, because that means any opportunity that arises, you're just going to jump on it. Right. And that's great, too. Yeah. Uh, because uh, as somebody who doesn't have opportunities presented to them, <laughs> I mean, I have a very corporate job, sure. uh, which is why I'm very excited yeah, to watch love it. corporate on Comedy Central. <laughs> Tune in, guys. When is it? January? January something is going to premiere. Yeah. January something. Yes. Tune in and watch corporate. This is really exciting for me because I have a very structured corporate job sure. uh, and it does get a little ridiculous sometimes. But, you know, it's great. You know, it's adult (laughs) life. It's adult life. Yeah. And it is what it is. And then Houston's just very different. I I feel like uh, here in Los Angeles, you can uh, you can come out here. I I hate to be like, oh, you know, you can come out here and, you know, your dreams can come true. And, you know, if you just like give it a chance and stuff. I mean, there's just not a lot of opportunities in Houston to be able to get involved with something creative in this industry, especially. Sure. I had a friend who I interviewed a couple of episodes back who... She works uh, as a director, um, and she does a lot of reality TV in Houston. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she does stuff for, like, HGTV. Right. Like, the Property Brothers went out there and did something. And right. so she does, like, a lot of that stuff. And, uh, you know, she acknowledges it's very difficult, especially sure. for a woman. She might be able to <laughs> do a lot better here in, sure. in L.A. So what sort of advice would you give somebody who is interested in getting involved? Obviously, you had a very... Uh, an orthodox way of getting here. Sure. But because you are an insider and you understand how the system works and this industry mm-hmm. runs, what sort of advice would you give to a young person who is like, God, I want to do that. I, I want to work on a show somehow. Right. I mean, the unfortunate truth is that networking is almost all that matters. It is, you know, 90% and talent is like 10%. There are two ways you can approach that. You can either be a real sleaze and join all the Facebook groups and go to all the networking events and be fake and be phony and have bad um, motives when you're talking to anyone and only see them as an opportunity for work. Or you move out to Los Angeles, you try your best, you make friends wherever you find them, whether that's in a comedy community, a spiritual community, your neighborhood, your political organization and develop real friendships. And then when you each get successful, you help each other out. My advice is to take that second route. I feel very fortunate (laughs) that when I moved here, I worked for people who had been doing that. Scott Ackerman from Comedy Bang Bang has literally, for his entire career since he was in his 20s, just been helping friends out and doing friends favors and working on things that are fun and cool with people who are fun and cool. And so now they're giving back to him. Uh, all the writers on that show, Neil Campbell was just a guy at UCB who everyone really liked because he was talented and he was fun and he was nice and he would help you. He would sit and give you notes. He would be, you know, an ally. All the people who I got to witness their rise are people who went that second route. And I've seen a lot of people flop who took that first route. Um, So understand that networking is ultimately an unavoidable part of becoming successful. You have to be really, really talented to not have to play that game. 
Um, but if you play it more of like a game of hopscotch and not a game of like risk, then it's more fun. <laughs> it's interesting. It's a strategy. Sure. So you talked a little bit about being into comic books mm-hmm. and really getting into that. Yeah. I see you post a lot of photos. You've been spending a lot of the summer reading yes. comic books by the pool. Yes. I'm very jealous of that. <laughs> How did you get into comic books? Because I feel like it happened very suddenly. Sort of. I, my brother, my big brother read comic books, so I would read the comic books that he left over. And when I was in high school, I really liked Birds of Prey by Gail Simone and a couple other DC titles, but I just, I would read trades every so often and I wasn't actively into it. When I was in college, there were kind of three or four that I would read every week um, or every month. I remember reading Scud the Disposable Assassin and going like, oh, comics can be really cool. They don't just have to be superhero-y. But then around then, DC did a stupid thing and relaunched all their titles and changed all the creative teams. And so I was like, well, this is a really convenient time for me to stop reading comic books. Uh, And then about three years ago, I wanted to get back in uh, and a friend gave me The Runaways, by Brian K. Vaughn, which is like, I think one of the best comics that's been written in my lifetime. And pretty shortly after that, I started dating my boyfriend, who's a children and teens librarian and who is a huge comic book resource. And he gave me more Brian K. Vaughn. And we've, you know, been reading ever since then. I think the reason I'm posting about it more and talking about it more is that Right now, there are such incredible women and people of color and trans people and incredibly diverse creative teams writing comics right now and writing diverse comics. Uh, And when I first started reading comics, it was like, I did it because I like comics, but it didn't like... Like, I get so excited on Wednesdays when New Comic Book Day is because, like, <laughs> I, like, love these characters and I love these people. And it's such an incredible time in comics. And I just, like, want to invite all my friends to the party that's happening in comics right now. Because uh, it's, like, I can't think of another era that's been so populated by, like, diverse voices and right. with diverse so characters. I feel like there's, like, a resurgence now because yeah. when I was younger... Um, I would read my cousin's comics sure. and I mean, I didn't really hear about it after that. There seemed to be like a lull yeah. and that's why I became aware of it because of what you posted. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit, like this is some really, these are really great. Yeah. These are really, really good and uh, very feminist oriented. Yeah, definitely. So it's very, it's exciting. And from what you're telling me, I did not know this. Yeah. That it's a very exciting time for yeah. new and diverse voices. Yeah. Well, and I think about like um, America is a comic that's at Marvel right now. And it's about a queer Latina written by a queer Latina who's never written comics before, but loves comics and is a talented writer. Uh, And Roxanne Gay is writing a comic and uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates is writing a comic. And they're getting people who, uh, uh, Caitlin Kane, I believe is her name, who wrote Mockingbird, which is like an amazing thing. And she's just like a young adult novel. And more often they're like, trying new venues instead of just like when the only kind of comic book creator you hire are people who've been reading comic books since they were four years old, you're going to get a lot of white men and they're like reaching out to different types of artists and are getting like incredible, incredible books of like, you know, Iceman is about a queer X-Men and there's, uh, you know, any Kate Leth comic is usually about queer characters and there's just like, oh, it's so incredible. It's like the, there's teenage girls who are like sincere and cool and remind <laughs> me of being a teenage girl. And it's just like, it, it's really, really good. 
please go out and buy a comic if you're listening to this. Which one would you recommend for a starter? Somebody that's just like now starting out. Ooh, I really like Kelly Thompson's Hawkeye. I think it's really good and it just started, so it's not too late to hop on. I also think Ms. Marvel by G. Willow Wilson is just like kind of the best thing going right now. It's about an amazing Muslim teenage superhero who just like is, yeah, has to balance all of those things. And G. Willow Wilson is a hijabi woman. She's like an amazing writer and she writes so well. So yes, Ms. Marvel is definitely... Oh, it, it like warms my heart to hear yeah. stuff like that and yeah. and I feel I feel super ignorant because I, I had no idea right and it's it really helps for people like you to be posting about it because otherwise you know for me it was just a white boy industry exactly you know? yeah. cis white males yeah. reading comic books and you're just kind of put off by that right? right like as a as a woman of color myself like I I, I wouldn't have thought you yeah. know, it's like, oh, I'm going to pick up this comic book. It's about yeah. a, you know, white superhero with a lot of money or something. You right. know, it has nothing to do with me. Yeah. But that sounds incredible. Yeah. Ugh. Another really good, um, it's not a superhero comic, but it's called Jonesy. And it's about a, like, Latina girl who um, loves making zines and loves ferrets. And she has, like, a power to make anyone love anything. So she'll, like... <laughs> make her favorite um like pop singer fall in love with her or make you know like make crushes fall in love with their crushies this and stuff sounds like my dream it's like very good somebody, it's uh, called jonesy into my subconscious and made a comic book series yeah. out of it it's really really good ferret but except for ferrets it'd be cats sure which is great sure but you're motivating me now i want to write a comic yeah like i'm gonna go i'm gonna do it myself i'm gonna diy it and then just publish it myself great and i'll read it circulate it out in houston yeah one copy well two maybe my mom will probably read it as well (laughs) um so i want to bring it back around you talked a little bit earlier about having anxiety Mm -hmm. and how it was very difficult for you to perform early on because you just didn't really feel comfortable performing. Right. So is that something that you've overcome now? Or no. is that something that you're still struggling with? I still have pretty terrible anxiety. I've cycled through a good number of um, coping mechanisms. And then a couple of years ago was like, oh, maybe I just have to fix myself. <laughs> maybe I have to stop uh, using crutches. And so I do a ton of work on myself and a ton of self-betterment stuff. And that has helped. But I still like... You know, I had a performance earlier this week uh, for music and I just spent the entire day incapable of doing anything and like the top of my head gets really like cold and scratchy and I have trouble breathing and I can't feel my fingers uh, and they'll like forget the things that I've been practicing and that I know I know and I just like need to hear people tell me over and over again that it's going to be okay and it's going to be fine. But it's much better than it used to be. And every time it gets a little tiny sliver of a bit better. But I still have pretty, pretty gnarly, just physical anxiety. You said that you work on Mm self-betterment and helping yourself through it. There are a lot of uh, people that are dealing with this as well. Mm -hmm. Anxiety and depression. But they would like to be involved with something like this. Uh, What sort of uh, advice would you give to somebody that's just kind of on the fence of, you know, throwing themselves out there in the spotlight and doing this, but they just have this crippling anxiety. Don't do it if it's going to make you uncomfortable and you don't have to like, I can be pretty dire. I can be pretty like, if I do this once I have to do it every day. If I don't do this once I can't ever do it again. Everything is black and white. Everything is everything or nothing. 
Um, and what I've had to learn is how to go like, this time I can't do it. This time it's I'm too anxious. This time I don't feel like doing it, but I can do it next time. Um, and allowing myself that flexibility so that it's not like, I'm too anxious, I can't do this. I'm too sick, I can't do this. Uh, and go like, today I can't do it. Maybe tomorrow will be different. Um, and let go of the ideas of like, you know, that you're making a decision for the rest of your life every time you make a decision. You said that one of your favorite things to do is to go to like free audience viewings of shows. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. To be like in the audience. Yeah. What was your most favorite experience of being in an audience for a live taping? Oh, I mean, last summer I got real into So You Think You Could Dance. <laughs> to So You Think You Could Dance. Sure. Almost every week. And that one was really, really fun. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. Uh, you went to see the the kids perform, the right? Kids, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no interest in adults. <laughs> I also can recognize that it's a lot of my own um, mental illness of like you know just obsessing on like spectacular children and going like I was there once and I lost it all. <laughs> you know, like very kind of whiplash of like you know I just yeah. I want these excellent children to succeed for me since I couldn't do it. Oh, that's great. Sure, that's a really great way of seeing it. Sure. Like, what would you say is your most favorite memory of being here in the last couple of years? You know, what's been cool is bringing music back into my life. And there was a, we did an episode of Comedy Bang Bang that was a musical episode. And for that episode, I got to go to our um, music director, Eben Schletter's studio and record all of the chorus vocals for it, all the background vocals. And uh, that was really, really fun. First, like the feeling of getting to surprise people of like, Oh, gotcha. You didn't know I have 20 years of opera training. Well, yeah, that's insane. I think if you like work with somebody and then like one day you just hear them singing and you're like, holy shit, you can sing. And somebody said that to me the other day. I was like humming or something. And the girl who sits next to me in the cubicle, she was like, were you in choir? And I was like, no, I'm singing horribly. The thing is that I'm just humming and it sounds pleasant, (laughs) you know? So I think people get really taken aback. I can't imagine you with your opera training sure completely busting out with that and then they're like holy shit yeah and this girl is just a well-rounded talent yeah um so besides that Mm -hmm. what else have you experienced here that you would have never have experienced in houston i don't want to sell houston short with my answer because i'm sure that like Well, they're two very different cities. Sure. So there's a lot that you can't do that. And there's some stuff you can't do here that you can do in Houston. Definitely. So Um, go for it. (laughs) Shoot us down. You know, I love LA. I think it's like the most incredible place I've ever lived. And I want to live in it for the rest of my life. Uh, And sometimes the most incredible days are just like when I get a sandwich from my favorite sandwich place and go to my favorite park and just sit at that park eating my sandwich. Sure. Those are like the best memories I can think of are like going to a pumpkin patch or something that which you can totally do elsewhere. But I think because in LA you can go from the beach to a museum, to a fancy nightclub, to a drag show, to an improv show, to a folk show, to an amazing diner that's only open at night, to a taco place that's only open in the morning to, you know, like you just get to kind of create Frankenstein these days that I don't ever 
remember doing in Houston when I was like, well, today's the day we do this thing and then we go home. Yeah. And also you, you were in a different age group. Definitely. Um, because yeah, now as adults, I mean, that sounds like a lot of what we do sure. in Houston. But yeah, I just, I feel, you know, just being here a couple of days and, and even visiting my family from time to time coming here to California, uh, it, it is a very different environment. Mm-hmm. It's a very different culture. Both cities are incredibly diverse. Both cities have ridiculous, awful traffic. Sure. <laughs> so yeah. I, to a certain extent, I feel right at home. Uh, the biggest obvious difference for me being the weather, mm-hmm. because right now uh, for the Houston listeners, it feels like when October hits, mm-hmm. <laughs> when it's Halloween, but no humidity. Yeah. Because we can get like a cool down and it feels nice. But there's still a little bit of humidity. Like you're still having to like walk, you know, it's like air you can wear, that sort of thing. So that's the most obvious difference. But I'm trying to figure out a way to describe just the subtle differences between Los Angeles and Houston uh, because it is very different. Uh, Another obvious thing would be like, you know, the whole show business and the industry around here. I keep overhearing people talking about the shows that they're working on or the podcasts that they're currently recording or something. So it's interesting to kind of just like walk around and eavesdrop and like this. This is just a way of life here. Yeah. Uh, almost show business. And I hate to be like, oh, everybody here works in show business. Sure. Uh, but there is a, a very large majority of people. Definitely. I mean, we were at Zanku's Chicken the other day. And we heard two guys talking about their Comedy Central show that, you know, they were like, yeah, it'll be interesting if we get picked up for a second season. Yeah. There's a lot of people who I never like to assume that people are getting support from their parents, but there's a lot of people who are just getting support from their parents. <laughs> and as someone who that just has not been an option for me, it is very interesting to me to see how many people are willing and able to spend five, even 10 years just trying and not getting a job and not going, okay, I guess I'll just go work retail for now. Or, okay, maybe I'll get a job at a bank or whatever it is. That is not a luxury I have. Like I have to get the job that I can get at any given moment. Um, I don't have any safety net at all. And a lot of people here do have safety nets. So I think a lot of times when you hear the dude at the coffee bean, you know, talking about his screenplay, there's a lot of that that I would not consider actual parts of showbiz industry. (laughs) I think there's just a lot of people whose parents are willing to pay their rent while they, you know, write that great, great screenplay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. What obstacles have you encountered since you started living here? I mean, they've been mostly in my own brain, um, mostly getting my own mental health in order. And, you know, the fact that I don't come from money and that you have to at least convincingly pretend that money isn't a problem for you in Los Angeles. Uh, You can't make an excuse because they'll just hire someone else who doesn't have that excuse. So that's been my most in Los Angeles learning how to pay crazy rent. So when I was in college at Louisiana state, the rent I paid for my apartment was something like $400 a month. And so I moved out to Los Angeles thinking that that's how much rent is. That is not how much rent is out here. (laughs) You cannot live for $400 a month. 
Um, and so I quickly had to like, oh, literally all the money that I saved up, I have to spend this month on rent. And so learning that of like, yeah, you have to go to the party that all the people at your work are going to go to, and you have to look nice there and you have to get yourself there, even though you make less money than all those other people on your show, even though you live farther away because you have to, because the rent learning to balance all that is really difficult. And the comfort comes that no one's doing it very well unless you have a lot of money. And even still, you know, every day there's some celebrity who's committing tax evasion or something because they don't know how to manage their money. (laughs) So that's obviously been a huge struggle. And then just like being an anxious kid, being a mentally ill kid who then like went to college, hated it, didn't go to class, had panic attacks, found coping mechanisms, and then moved out to Los Angeles and very much thinking like, well, once I'm in this industry, all of that will go away. And then like quickly learning it would not. And that I had to make some serious changes about the way I live my life. Um, But LA, because there's so many crazies in LA, it is a great city for self-care and for, you know, spiritual solutions and for things like that. So that's been, you know. And people seem so much more encouraging about that here. Yeah. I feel like there's no stigma. Yeah. There's, you definitely, there are a lot of performers in Houston who have in recent years been a little bit more open about Mm -hmm. their mental health issues and Mm -hmm. their anxiety or the fact that something traumatizing happened to them. Right. And it's so admirable because a couple of years ago, that was just unheard of. Like we didn't talk about that. And yeah, there was sort of that stigma of like, oh, you know, you're, you're crazy or, you know, if you were a creative type, you just didn't really really talk about it yeah uh, but I feel like it's helping a lot of people here but there's more of a nurturing environment here that I've noticed definitely much more supportive yeah for sure yeah uh, and in Houston's getting to that place which is great um, I hate to get off of this topic but I do want to ask you what is your dream person to work with Ooh. Who, who would you want to work with the cool thing is that on bang bang I got to work even in a small capacity with so many people. I mean, like every comedy idol I had moving out here was on Comedy Bang Bang at some point, whether sure. it was like David Wayne or Carrie Kenny. Um, there are people from Mr. Show or people from Kids in the Hall. So I like got that opportunity in a very cool way. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm obsessed with Mad Men. I think Mad Men's like the best TV show that's ever been made. Uh, I like will think about a scene and just cry in the middle of Ralph sometimes. <laughs> so obviously Matthew Weiner like would be cool. Um, I think <laughs> uh, Roberta, the guy who's in charge of Archie Comics right now, is like really killing it. Archie Comics has amazing stuff. Uh, and then Riverdale was like such a cool show and like so expertly done and I think surprising to a lot of people who didn't know that he was going to be able to do it so he obviously is on that list and you know if he wants to hire me to do Sabrina then then, yeah. you know, that'd then be we great. can just go ahead and make that yeah. happen yeah <laughs> um yeah those are the two that come to mind so the comedy show that we went to last night yes there was a comedian the female comedian Barbara Gray Barbara Gray yes who made a joke yeah. and she said, haha, that might have sounded very familiar because a very big comic mm-hmm. included in her current comedy special. Sure, yes. Um, and then she sort of talked a little bit about, you know, yeah, you know, there's kind of an understanding here that, you know, whoever gets the joke on TV first or the joke out there first is the right. one who gets to keep it and gets credit for it. Sure. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, it's interesting. I remember there was like a thing a couple seasons ago on SNL 
where there was a groundling sketch that was like so beat for beat close. And I generally feel like no one's jokes are that original and a lot of it is parallel thought. And um, there are obviously some like notorious joke thieves, but also a lot of times the jokes that people get like upset about people stealing, it's like, well, it was right there. It's like so obvious with sketch is where it's like, no, you had to go out and buy costumes. You had to stage this and it looks exactly the same. Sure. <laughs> the costumes yeah. It's harder to go like a eh, parallel thought. I have really very few feelings about Saturday Night Live, um, but they are the kind of notorious ones in the sketch world. Mm-hmm. But what's very cool is that more and more sketch groups are getting to be on television or have their YouTube videos or whatever as their own entity. And for a very long time, I was like, you know, the hot guy from this group and the hot guy from this school would come and be on SNL and they would bring with them like, oh, we did this sketch over at IO or we did the sketch over at Second City. Um, and what's cool now is like that the birthday boys have a sketch show as the birthday boys and no one can do a birthday boys sketch because you know, it's a birthday boys sketch. <laughs> uh, so I think just like, just put your stuff out there and then you can't make that which argument. is very possible too yeah. in this day and age. Yeah. Right. Like you said, YouTube and just posting videos of yourself. And right. Just putting yourself out there, I guess. Yeah. So today's Kate Bush's birthday. Yes, it is. <laughs> and you're a huge Kate Bush I fan. Know, she's my favorite. Do you want to say something to Kate Bush oh in case she's, yes. like, she's, of she's, course she's listening. <laughs> of course she is. She's tuning in right now. Kate, I love you so much. I thank you. If you ever meet me, I'm going to hide all my tattoos from you so you don't realize that I have nine tattoos dedicated to you. <laughs> I think she would love that. I don't think she would at all. <laughs> She'd be terrified of me. That is like, I think once an hour, every hour, like, I don't think Kate Bush would like me if she met me. <laughs> oh, I disagree. She's great. You saw her live. I did see her live. That what was, was that like? I mean, that was another thing where like, I got there on Sunday and the show was on like Thursday and I just couldn't do anything for those like four days because I just was like walking around town and people would be like hi how are you I'd be like I'm seeing Kate Bush (laughs) could not think about anything where did you see her so she did all of her shows at the same venue because it was a very immersive show that had like theatrical elements so it couldn't tour but it was at um it was in Hammersmith um at a venue that's changed names so many times I forget what it's called now um but it was incredible (laughs) you know one of the things that I usually ask my guests is what inspires you about Houston what what gets what gets your creative juices flowing but because you haven't been in Houston in recent years and Mm -hmm. Los Angeles life is your life now Mm -hmm. I'm gonna just go ahead and ask what about Los Angeles and Hollywood inspires you the most If you're having a bad time in Los Angeles, it's your fault. There are too many things going on. There are too many places to go. There are too many opportunities. And if you're not taking advantage of them, it's because you've made an excuse. There are free things happening all the time. There's public transit. There are things in every single neighborhood. And it forces you as a creative person to not take excuses and not make excuses for yourself. And why can't I do this? I have this idea for a show that I can't not do because I have a friend who has a production space who said yeah come shoot it in my production space and I have another friend who's an audio engineer who said yeah I'd love to audio engineer that and I have connections at all these places and I can't the only excuse I have is that I'm being lazy Uh, and so it heightens your ability to get work done in a town like this where like 
I made so many excuses in Houston of like, there's nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. Where right. would I go? Who would do this? Where would I put it? And that's just like, does not exist in Los Angeles. Yeah. The resources are, are not available in Houston, but I, I, I'd like to make the argument that you can do it. Sure. You can, because I have a friend who is a producer and director and she writes all her own shorts and they're so beautifully done. Mm-hmm. that I can't believe it was shot in Katy, Texas. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm like, well, shit, you know, she did it. Sure. It's possible. Sure. You can do it anywhere. But here, it's just the resources are more readily available to sure. you. Sure. Well, and I think of, like, Link Ladder as someone who, when I saw Boyhood, I was like, I wish that I lived in Link Ladder's Houston because Link Ladder, like, loves Houston so much and is such a talented art artisan and craftsman and makes Houston look great and he has in all of his things made Texas look really really great um and he didn't need permission from anyone in LA to do that you know he's like a Texan grown filmmaker and there's other Wes Anderson I mean there's so many great um Texas filmmakers who do that who like yeah who haven't made the excuses who have just done it yeah and it's so interesting to see Houston or Texas from their perspective yeah and it's like you said it's like oh I wish I experienced I mean I fucking live there right you know and I'm like oh man I wish my I wish my life was like a Wes Anderson film all day every day yes (laughs) so then I want to end this episode with asking you what is currently inspiring you personally not about the city or anything but just anything in particular that is inspiring you as an artist uh so I've gotten pretty deep into um media about teenage witches like that's obviously Sabrina but Kiki's Delivery Delivery Service Service. and Flying Witch and Witch Boy is this new graphic novel that's coming out later this year. And um, Little Monsters is this great 1960s comic that doesn't exist anymore. And there's a million comics about teenage witches, Spell on Wheels or Black Magic or Scarlet Witch um, and Worst Witch and The Craft. And, you know, that's very much like all I'm consuming right now. And that inspires me so hard a little witch academia is like an amazing anime that just went up on netflix and that is like such aesthetically pleasing to me but also like as like a recovering teenage girl who like hated being a teenage girl and who like (laughs) um so just like to me that's that's the best way to tell teenage girl stories is like make them a witch because uh, all teenage <laughs> girls are witches is like what I've like learned being an yeah. adult is like we are all witches teenage girls are just closest to it than sure. anyone else yeah no I mean I grew up watching Kiki's delivery yeah. service and I was like why can't I go away at 13 yeah, I know right? and like live my life with yeah. my cat with my black cat yeah and just deliver baked goods yeah, yeah deliver baked goods all day to people yeah yeah, yeah. So that's really inspiring me right now is like the breadth of stories being told you using those archetypes and those tropes and just how well they're being told. You started putting these videos of yourself online playing the auto harp. This is correct. <laughs> what led you to go pick up an auto harp and start making these beautiful, beautiful covers of these songs? Well, thank you. First of all. Yeah. Um, so when I'm listening to music, if it's not Kate Bush, which mostly it is, it's like late 50s to early 70s folk music. It's Joan Baez and Janice Ian and Joni Mitchell and Mary Travers and Cass Elliot. And uh, I also really love children's television. And I love any like ethereal woman singing songs about like, don't forget to wash your hands or like whatever they're singing at the time. Like <laughs> sure. that's my favorite thing in the world. And so for a long time, I've like, you know, 
envisioned myself like atop a stool surrounded by little children playing auto harp that's just like a really comfortable daydream for me uh and then I just started looking on Craigslist and looking on eBay and I found a good one at a pawn shop in Van Nuys and I sent my boyfriend to get it because I was at work at the time uh and then like it was like oh well I'm done for like this is (laughs) all of that time mentally practicing like I'm I'm here I'm there so I just you did a cover of Rainbow Connection. Oh, yeah. That one brought a tear to my eye. <laughs> yeah, I love those, like, Muppet songs and Sesame Street songs and anything that, like, evokes children's television or children's media. That's, like, the top for me. I love that. <laughs> well, I want to thank you so much, Caroline, for being on the show. Thank you for being a friend. Thank you for being a host to us while we're here in Los Angeles visiting. You've taken us to so many great free shows. Yeah. Uh, you have introduced me to a wonderful restaurant here, which we will talk about in my other podcast, Food Culture. Yes. Uh, so tune into that. Uh, but thank you so much for agreeing to be on this, on my podcast show and for agreeing to do this. Is there anything about Houston that you miss? Shipley's Donuts. Okay. Yeah. We're going to end it on that note. <laughs> Thank you. Is, if anybody wants to follow Caroline, is it okay if they follow yeah. you on Instagram? Yeah. Caroline E. And. Okay. Thank you again, Caroline. And thanks everybody for tuning in. Bye.